Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty's Miss America podcast. This is volume 100-something, and we got an awesome guest today, man. We have the brand-new, newly-minted head football coach at the University of Central Florida, Gus Malzahn. Of course, Coach Malzahn had a tremendous career at Auburn University, uh, was very successful in the gauntlet that is the Southeastern Conference and, most notably, the SEC West. And we'll get into all kinds of unique topics with Coach Malzahn, such as to define that SEC West gauntlet. Why, as a guy who had so much success in that gauntlet, you'd assume another Power 5 job is coming along any minute. Why is UCF the right choice for Coach Malzahn right now? What are his expectations? What is the ceiling for UCF, which is a group of five uh, football program, all of those things. And I also kind of wonder as well, what did he do with his off time? What did that teach him being away from the game? And maybe a little update on Cam Newton. Uh, he coached Cam at Auburn, and I kind of wondered what his perspective was on Cam's ability. We'll get into all of those things with Coach Malzahn. We also have a couple other topics to touch on. I spent the past uh, several days in Los Angeles, California, covering Tiger Woods' automobile accident. We'll get into that a bit, kind of my perspective on all of that. And Travis has a question for me that y'all are going to want to listen to. But before we get to all that and in our interview with Coach Malzahn, I also want to remind you guys that you should check out the Low Post podcast. If NBA is your thing, then you need to be listening. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for my conversation with Gus Malzahn, the head coach of the University of Central Florida. Coach, you had such tremendous success in the Southeastern Conference at Auburn. So it stands to reason that another Power Five opportunity would be coming your way in a cup of coffee. So what is it about UCF that makes that the right decision for you? Yeah, you know, I think a fit – um, and just from the outside looking in, this is a job that every coach in America knows that, uh, you know, this is a really great place. And so, you know, when this job came open, you know, I just told Christy, I said, we really, really need to look into it. And then, of course, when Terry Mahajer became the AD, my old AD at Arkansas State, and I said, hey, that, that, that really, really has a chance. And, and since I've been here, I believe that even more. So it's real exciting. Um, you know, I think we're a top 25 team right now. And I think most people around the country would agree. But, you know, our goal is to be a top 10. And, and I really believe in a short period of time, you know, we have a chance to do that. So it, it's real exciting. As you know, uh, having been in the mix for college football playoff opportunities in the past, no G5 program has ever made it. So what do you look at as the ceiling at UCF? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you got to have a good strategy. And right now we're trying to schedule a top 10 team in the country, you know, non-conference. And we need to beat them. And then you get into your conference, which this conference, I mean, it's a real conference. There's a lot of really good teams, man, that's coming on. So if you have a chance to run the table, uh, with that being said, I think they can't keep you out. So so that'll be our plan. I mean, that's that's tough. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge goal, but uh, but it can be done. What was the response from your former players and all the coaching contacts and friends that you've had throughout the years when, when you were announced as the guy? Yeah, I think I had 1,100 text messages. So it was uh, – it was 1,100? Yeah. yeah, you know how hard that is to try to return everyone. You know, it took me oh my five gosh. 
Yeah. So, but, you know, former players were great, uh, you know, coaches and just friends. And, uh, and I think too, that they know this is a good fit. I mean, uh, so it's, it's real exciting. I want to go back to January, 2018 for a minute, that peach bowl game, yeah. you know, you're coaching at Auburn, you guys are playing against UCF. They end up beating you guys. What, if any impact did that day have on your perspective of, of that program and that university uh, yeah. overall? Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, we had a really good team that year. I mean, we were we were really close to being, you know, the final team, I felt like. And uh, you know, we played them in that game. And, hey, as a coach, you'll watch. And I knew that they were very talented. But until you get in front on the sideline of a team and you really know, and after that game, they beat us. And, and they got after us. There weren't any excuses. I mean, they were better than us that day. So that really made a great impression. And they weren't just good offensively. They were very good defensively, too. So – it just kind of, uh, you know, kind of had that in the back of my mind that confirmed, like, you know, that place is really special. And I felt this way. If the right guy ever got here and would stay here and build it, it it's going to be, you know, it'd be really special. So, you know, that uh, all that process just really got to this point. Why are you the right guy? Well, I think it's fit, you know. Um, you know, I'm kind of that uh, chip on my shoulder underdog. I'm a former high school coach that probably the first five, ten years, you know, oh, he's a high school coach, high school officer. So I've always kind of had that chip on my shoulder, something to prove. And I think that UCF has something to prove. So I just think that, uh, you know, the timing's right. Uh, we've got great support. we got some really good players. And then we, we hired a staff that can recruit. And, you know, when I got hired, I said, we're going to recruit the state of Florida like nobody ever has. And, and that's not recruiting talk. We're going to do it. And that's the way we're going to build it. And I think we can get great players uh, to come here and be a part. For people who don't know, who might be listening right now, the, the arduous task that is recruiting Florida like it's never been recruited. Try to paint that picture for me. What is that? Yeah, well, I think it starts here locally. I mean, in Orlando. I mean, what is there, two, two million people? I mean, we're going to really circle the wagons, develop great relationships here. Um, you know, South Florida, what is it, three hours? And, you know, North Florida's two and a half. I mean, it's really good. And so it's just a matter of uh, building the foundation, developing relationships, uh, setting a goal and a dream and trying to get people to be a part. And, you know, they're within driving distance. And so uh, that's really where it starts. You talked about having great players already. I actually had a UCF game last year. Uh, when they played against Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And I was really impressed with Dylan. I was really impressed with Dylan Gabriel. What's the impact of knowing coming in the door that you got a guy behind center like that? Yeah, that's really a, a positive. I mean, to have a chance to win a championship in college football, you have to have a great quarterback. And I really feel like we have that. He's a veteran guy. He's well-respected. He's the leader. Um, and I think we've got uh, some good pieces around him. So I'm excited to get out and spring practice here in two weeks and let him throw the ball around and, and see what it looks like. What did you learn about yourself while you were away from the game for a minute? Yeah, I tell you what, it was it was really a blessing. Uh, I've been going hard for 30 years and hadn't had time to even think about what's next. You just go the, the, the next day. And I was able to kind of reflect. And what it helped me, Marty, was kind of get back to me. Uh, really, college football can change. And I knew when I got in – you know, I got some advice from one of my best friends that had been in college. He said, don't let college football change who you are. And that's hard. I mean, that, that, there's a lot of challenges. So more than anything, Marty, just kind of looking back, I got with my wife, Christy. We kind of reflected. We went through our whole journey of 30 years. And 
just I'm going to get back to being me, who I am at my core, and enjoying uh, coaching the great game game of football, and really trying to push that business side off the side, and just focus on that that personal relationship with your players and your coaches. And uh, so that's really you know what, what I learned. I want to expound on that a little bit. So 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 who are you? If if somebody didn't know you, coach, who are you? Yeah, I'm a. I'm, first of all, I'm a Christian coach. Um, this is my ministry. Uh, the Lord put me. I was a high school coach, and just kind of every place I've been, He's blessed me with unbelievable players. And the situation was really good with administrators, and this situation is the same. And so, you know, who made the biggest impact in my life growing up were my high school coaches. And I want to be and have coaches that will be an example for these guys about what a great dad looks like, what a great husband looks like. And then, uh, you know, coach football and have a dream and help kids reach dreams and go to the NFL and all that. So, yeah, that, that's who I am. When, when you lose yourself a little bit in that business, I mean, look, it, it, being a head coach in a lot of cases is this whole CEO thing. And especially at the absolute top of the sport like Auburn. So how, how can all that comes with that get you in a position where you're losing yourself a little bit? Well, I, I just think, um, you know, you get caught up in, in all the stuff and you just got to um, manage things. And it's hard to have that relationship with your players like, like you want to and the coaches. And, and you're managing a business. I mean, that's kind of yeah. what – and there's that balance, okay, because you got to do both. Even here you got to balance. But – you know, it, it's the challenges uh, of, a, of a program like where I came from. I mean, the last five years, they just get tougher and tougher with, with nothing to do with football. It's just everything else. So, um, but that's part of being a leader. You know, that's part of managing. And, and, and like I said, there were some other things in the eight weeks that I kind of was able to kind of take back and say, if I do it again, I want to do this different or this better. And so, you know, that's just part of it. What occupied your time? Oh, me and Christy, uh, you know, we, uh, she, matter of fact, after about week six, she wanted to enter the transport. She <laughs> had enough of me. Uh, it, it was, it was really good. We spent time together. Uh, I've got two grandsons, uh, got a chance to spend extra time. And here's the deal, not just spend time, but quality time where I wasn't checking the phone. I wasn't on the phone. Right. to recruit. I wasn't thinking about one of my players that they get in trouble. I mean, like, so it was just that true, uh, you know, being able to, to spend time with your family. And I got a chance, my, you know, my parents and Chrissy's parents. So, uh, and really it's kind of weird, but kind of just being a normal person for eight weeks, that was pretty refreshing too. What do you believe, what impact do you think your success in the past has on your relationship with your new players coming in the door? How does having had that success in the past impact how you can coach them now? Yeah, you know, I think it helps. You know, I came in here and said, you know, hey, our goal is to be a top 10 team. Our goal is to make the final four. And, you know, at least, you know, I've been somewhere we've won a national I know what it looks like and feels like. And so it's kind of one of those things that you can tell that, you know, I think they're hungry. Uh, I think they're all in to, to do that. And so, uh, so far, so good. 1,100 texts is insane. And you wound up choosing a group of those folks who reached out to join this staff. What, what, what was the process of putting together a staff this late that quickly? Yeah, uh, of course, I'm familiar with a lot of guys. It was a challenge. There's no doubt uh, this late. But really, I want to start with good people, um, kind of like we talked about. And I wanted to hire coaches that are great examples for our players, what a great dad looks like, what a great husband looks like. 
coaches that will develop true relationships with, with players, not football. And I just think that you can get the most out of players if you truly care about them. And then somebody that can go on the field and develop them and, uh, and really work together as a team. So we're real blessed to have the group that we have. Uh, they're hungry. Uh, they came in here, their hair's on fire. And, uh, you know, everybody's going the same direction. Coach, I've known you for a few years. I, I've never seen you kind of like this before. Yeah. There's a different kind of kind of hop in your step a little bit. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I told Terry when we kind of going through the interview process, I said, you're getting the best Gus Miles on coach in 30 years. And I truly believe it just with the wisdom that I've had and the experiences I've had, being able to evaluate. And uh, I'm excited. And uh, this is a great place, has great potential. Um and, you know, we got big dreams, but, man, that's the fun part, man, putting yourself out there and, and trying to reach them. Define the challenge that is the SEC West. Yeah, it, it's uh, – it, that's a real challenge, um, you know, and, you know, it's survival the fittest. It's every week. Of course, you know, the competitor in me, I kind of liked it now. I mean, I like the fact that the rival up, you know, uh, up, up north, you know, had the best coach that probably ever walked the planet. Uh, that doesn't just recruit. He probably picks his players, and then you turn on ESPN. It's like an infomercial. Okay, <laughs> now that that's the job that you know that that's a real job to to go against your rival. And, you know, and and that that's really you know kind of what it was. And then you throw in LSU, and you know you you throw in Georgia being a crossover, and then you throw in Texas A&M getting better. And and if you play a good non-conference schedule, I mean that, that that's a real schedule. You know. It's brutal. It's brutal. And and you you said something there that I really wanted to ask you now that you're not in that gauntlet anymore. I want your perspective as someone who is the only person walking the face of this planet that beat Nick Saban three times. Nobody else has ever done that. And and I want like what how do you define his career having seen it up close that way? recruited yeah. against it like you were just talking about I mean, and and been successful against him yeah well first of all he probably is the best um now that i'm away from that i can probably say you can that. actually say I, it i couldn't say that before but you know it's kind of one of those things marty that you know i like it. you know you gotta like it you gotta you, you know you gotta be thinking about 365 days a year and you gotta instill that in your players because it's mental you gotta believe it you gotta instill it you can't just talk about it because most people uh, they don't give themselves a chance. They're beat before they did. So our guys, I mean, they, that's what they believed. And and you got to be physical. You got to beat. You got to beat them up front. You're not going to trick those guys. And of course, I'm sitting here now. You know, at, at UCF, I want to play them. You know, hopefully we can play them non-conference because I think that would be great. But but he's the best. There's no doubt. And what really amazes me is that he loses coaches every year, and he just plugs them in, and they're. They're really good. It's really, it's really something what he's done. How does continuity play into that? I've actually kind of used that example too when people ask me about what he's done. I say, well, you look at like Dabo, for example. He's had just got left to go to USF. Outside of that, he's had the same guys for 12 years. Yeah. And that continuity can really be beneficial, but Coach Saban hasn't had that. What is that challenge when you have that kind of turnover? I think that's what – separates him from everybody else. I have no idea how he does it. I mean, I really don't. Now, they got the best players, or no, but it doesn't matter if you got the best. To do at the high level that and – and everybody, they get – you know, they get everybody's best, you know, and so 
that's really what I think separates him, that he can just plug people in and they keep going and, you know, says a lot about his leadership, I think. I want to jump back real quick. I don't want to keep you too long, but talking about being a high school guy at heart. Mm-hmm. So, so you dominate Arkansas high school football at Springdale and, and your previous stops before Springdale. And then you're the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. Yeah. How big is that jump? <laughs> That's a real, it's a real big jump. But when you got Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, and Peyton Ellis, it makes it a lot easier. Okay. I, I was blessed to kind of jump in and those guys are their second year. And man, they were a lot of fun to coach. How good was Darren McFadden, man? Oh, wow. Uh, one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best uh, players to ever play college. I mean, like, he's the one that got the Wildcat going. You know, I don't know if you remember, but he'd throw it, he could run it, and just a special player um, and a great person, too. So you coached Cam Newton, too, uh, when Cam, of course, had that dominant year in 2010 and won Heisman and Natty and the whole thing. What separated Cam from other players you've coached? Uh Boy, he was a fierce competitor um, on the practice field. He wanted to be the best. I mean, he told me, I want to be a, a Heisman Trophy winner, a top 10 pick. I want, you know, I want to win a national championship. I said, if you allow me to coach you hard, we'll have a chance to do all three. Well, he allowed me to coach, coach him hard, but he had that ability that everybody on the practice field, he'd raise it. And, uh, man, he was just, whoa, you, you just sense it. You could put him out on the field and you could sense fear from the other team. And he's one of the few players, if, if not the only player I ever felt that. And I'm talking about against real people now. I'm not talking about <laughs> playing one double. I'm talking about SEC. Like they, they were fearful. He just, he just had that special gift and he was a joy to coach. What do you think the impact of his injuries have been on his career? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, he, I've said it the last 10 years, like he's treated different than other quarterbacks. Okay. And he's big and strong and, you know, I think they, you know, but yeah, he, there's no doubt his body's taking a toll, but I still think right situation. If you give him some people around him, real people around him, he can still be the best in, in the league. But I mean, he's taken more hits, you know, than any, any other quarterback, probably times 10 since he's gotten the league. Well, I'm thrilled for you, man. It's fun. It's so fun to see you like this. I mean, I, there, there's definitely a, a, a real vigor and a real enthusiasm uh, within you and I see it in your face and in your body language and I appreciate you man thank you for your time and your insight and I'm sure I'm gonna see you on the sideline here real soon yeah that's right thank you Marty thanks for having me Marty you're right I was sitting here watching there's something different I don't know if it's I don't want to put words in his mouth if it's the weight off his shoulders of the SEC gauntlet or what but like you're right he had the light in his it just he looked different. He it's acted. a very different person. Um, he his body language, his posture, the the permagrin on his face, and it just really speaks to me about how difficult the Southeastern Conference is on these coaches. I've never seen an example quite like that one, Travis. And I've probably know I've probably been interviewing coach Malzahn since 2014 or 15 now. And I've never heard him that way. And I've certainly never seen him with that posture. And so I'm thrilled for him. I've always really enjoyed him as a person because as you heard him say there, uh, you know, his faith drives everything. And I remember McGee and I were doing the talking season 
coaching interviews down at SEC Media Days a couple years back, and he had gone on a trip. I forget if it was, I think, Jerusalem. I can't remember that exactly sounds right. where he went. But, man, seeing him discuss the impact of that trip was, was beautiful. And it was kind of the same posture. He was sitting up in his chair. He was extremely passionate about what he was saying. And I can tell that this opportunity, like I wish I had a good analogy, but when you're going from that SEC West, especially gauntlet, when you heard him say it, when you're playing Mississippi State one week, and then the next week you're playing LSU, and then the next week you're playing Texas A&M, and then the next week, oh, I get Nick Saban. And, and your cross-conference annual game is against the best team in the East, Georgia. So it's just a murderer's row of opponents every single season. And when you have – look, that guy did a hell of a job at Auburn University. A hell of a job. And, again, he beat Nick Saban three times, man. And, and But the thing about the SEC West is everybody is measured against Alabama winning national championships. And so what is good enough elsewhere ain't good enough in the SEC West. That's the thing is he's a damn good coach, but – He's a great coach, Trey. You're, you're in the backyard of – Alabama. So every recruit that you go after, that recruit probably wants to play for Alabama first, and you have to win them over. And how interesting, like I was so excited to ask him about Coach Saban, because when you're the head coach at Auburn University, you can't come out and say, I think Nick Saban's the best that's ever done it. But since he was removed now from that equation, I have wanted to ask him that question for a couple months. And I appreciate how gracious he was with me asking it because he didn't have to be. But you have to you, – you, you look at – and I've said this on, on Marty Smith's America before. I've said it on Marty and McGee before. I've said it on the SEC Network hosting SEC Nation before. Just a couple months back when Bama played <clears> Ohio <throat> State – sorry, Travis – for the national championship. Please don't talk about that game. I said it there. What I marvel most about Coach Saban is that he continually turns over coordinators and coaches every single year and continues to win. I don't, I don't know how he does it, and it makes me feel better that Coach Malzahn said, I don't know how he does it. So it just really speaks to, to first of all, uh, uh, what Coach Saban has done down in T-Town, but – what Coach Malzahn did on the Plains and expects to do down there in Orlando. I agree with him. I agree with him completely that he can win and win now. I've seen Dylan Gabriel play. They have great perimeter talent at wide receiver, and they got a couple guys on defense who are dudes. So if they can go out and, and you know, look, you're recruiting in that state against Florida State, Florida, Miami, you're still recruiting against Butch Davis at FIU. Butch is a great recruiter. But so the, the thing is, though, is that state has enough talent where he can still get his guys there and then he can leave the state and go get it. And he's going to be able to make them a real threat. And it's funny that he said he would love to play Bama and get those top 10 teams. 
I have a feeling that a lot of those top 10 teams are probably not answering his phone calls. They, yeah, don't, no, they probably no, don't no, want to play him. No doubt. And, and again, another thing that I really wanted to ask him, and I, I, I appreciate his perspective on it, I think back to that Peach Bowl. I think it was New Year's Day 2018 when Auburn and UCF meet one another in Atlanta, Georgia, and UCF beat Gus Malzahn's Auburn Tigers. And I want – I I was so grateful to hear him say, yeah, it's one thing to see a team on tape and think you know what the program is. It's another one to have them come out and hit you square in the mouth. And it just all really came together. And and I am so happy for him, man. Uh, He, Travis, I I mean, I I couldn't believe, I can't believe how he looked. It was so fun to see him that happy. The the comparison that I have is when I worked on Mike and Mike, it was awesome but it was waking up at three 30 in the morning and that wears on you. And then when you come off of it and you don't have to wake up early, you like, you kind of have a pep in your step. And that's kind of what he had. I wonder too. And I did not ask him this. I should have, I probably failed as an interviewer. If being away from the game, he said it in so many words, but I should have asked it directly. If being away from the game for a couple of months, when you're let go from the school that you've given so much of your life to, and not just your professional life, your personal life. We heard him discuss that. How does being away from the game impact your appreciation to coach? And in in his body language, in his facial expressions, in the tone in his voice, and how invigorated he is, you could tell that the answer is yes. But I just – I'm thrilled for him because – it is a program, uh, and, and again, the administrative part of this is so important. He already has a pre-built relationship with the athletics director who was his athletics director when he had that one year at Arkansas State. So it's all adding up. Uh, he's a, a, an awesome guy. He's always been so kind to me with his time when he was at Auburn. If I was down there to do anything, he took the time with my boy, Kirk Sampson, who's the sports information director at Auburn, who's a total stud. They always gave me time for two or three questions, always. And, uh, and I appreciate him uh, giving us time today. Yeah, appreciate uh, the yeah, UCF uh, SID there, but I'm glad to see that they already have the uh, best for him. He, 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 Nobody rocks a vest better than Coach Gus Malzahn. I was wondering if he was going to show up with a visor, too, but he's got good hair, dude. When you have good hair and you're indoors, you, you don't have to put the visor on, but I was glad to see that he had that sweater vest on for us. I mean, that UCF looks good on him. and It does. It does. And if I'm a UCF alumnus uh, or, or a current student or a donor, I mean, I'm over the moon. Scott Frost was phenomenal there. Josh Heupel did a really good job there. Gus Malzahn is the kind of guy that can take the talent base at his disposal. He will cultivate those relationships with the high school coaches all over that state that he doesn't already have, which he probably has a lot already because, of course, Auburn would take as many four and five stars from Florida as they could get. And he's going to get players in there and, and do really well. And, and look, man, he's a star. He's a star coach. I, I will say this. I, I don't know this to be the case, but on the surface, I don't know if there's ever been a group of five university that was able to ha- hire a power five superstar head coach like this. I've not – help me out, Travis, if I'm forgetting. Guys, we're doing this off the top of our head. 
I don't I think it's the biggest superstar hire that G5 has seen. Now, I know Luke Fickle was the head coach yeah. for a cup of coffee at Ohio Luke, State. Yeah, in Luke Fickle had role. the interim year, so I wouldn't um, put I wouldn't put him in that. Strat- I, no, I think this is I think this is it. And he put his play calling with Dylan Gabriel in that offense. That's going to yeah, be going to be on a firepower that um, you're going to have to watch out for. Dylan's but, a good player. He's a really good player. Um, now you mentioned great hair, and we're going to need to segue here um, from coach's hair to your hair. Um, so what's going on with it? All right. So that first of all, that's a good question. I'm guessing you must have watched my Instagram story the other night. I, I watched your Instagram story. I saw a live shot of you. What was your What was your reaction when you saw the live shot? I wasn't a fan. Not a fan. No. All right, but I I will say I didn't notice it until after the Instagram video. So I'm wondering if I would have fully paid attention to it. All right. So my hair has always been kind of a polarizing topic of conversation, to say the least. And we love to you know we love to make fun of it. We love to 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 just pick on it and and just have a lot of fun with it. Well, I made the decision like a month ago, maybe two months ago, that I was going to go a different route. I was going to – I saw this picture of this dude on Instagram, and he had gray hair, and his hair was this kind of sw- like shaved up on the sides, which I like, and swooped over and back. And I'm like, I want – that's exactly what I want. That's a good transitionary moment from the faux hawk over to something a little different. I tried it. My hair does not agree with it. My hair grows. My hair is the thickest hair on earth. It is insane how thick it is. And then you add that, the, the fact that it grows straight out. My hair doesn't like flop down. See, my, it grows yeah. straight out like Beaker. I look like Beaker from the Muppets. I went with the Jimmy, the Jimmy Neutron for years. And so I went, I tried to transition. Guys, it just didn't work. And it all hit me standing in front of Cedar Sinai Hospital the other night in the middle of the night to do the one o'clock in the morning sports center. I was looking at myself in my phone, doing my makeup. And I thought, man, this ain't it. This ain't working. I don't like it. There's this thing going on over here on the left side when I swoop it back and it just will not, it just won't do it. So I'm going back. I might not have the same faux hawk, but I'm going back to some going back towards that that direction. I appreciate you trying and during this COVID era, you can really try some different things. You just had the misfortune of needing to be on live television with a very important topic with the with the transition going on with your hair. Like my hair, I can't do the faux hawk. My hair doesn't go straight up. It it goes naturally to the side. Like people have asked me about product and so I don't put any product in my hair. I have I don't own a comb. My hair just naturally goes that way. Yeah, with this with this whole new experiment of mine, I actually was using a brush, which I had never done with the Hulk. All I do is just put some and and it also everybody's always like, man, it must take you forever to do that faux Hulk. No, it took two seconds. I just did put some stuff goo in my straight in my hair. Ready. So but here's with this comb over thing I was doing or comb back. Uh it was a it was a laborious process. So a couple of questions. One is, who did you hear? Did you hear from any of your boys or people within you know the business that said, "Hey, what are you doing?" No, 
until I said it myself. That's what kind of friends I got. They were letting me make my way through the mistake. And then once I realized my mistake, they were good enough friends to say, hey, look, you're right. It looks ridiculous. Don't do that. So what did Lainey think? Lainey, well, she was on my side, but I don't, you know, I think that she thinks there's a happy medium in there where I cut my hair shorter and still try to comb it back and over, which it's, it's just not that the, because it grows so straight, I was trying to go longer so it would lay down better, but that's not what's happening. I got this big, like humpback whale thing going on in the middle of my head. It's funny though, that you mentioned the friends waiting to tell you, because I remember oh, a couple months ago, you did a live shot and you hadn't cut your hair in a while. And so the sides were kind of slicked back Sweet and looking. I sent a photo to Lainey and I said, what are we doing here? So he needs a haircut. I go, I'm going to wait till he's done. He's back uh, from wherever you were and then let you know that you need a haircut. I don't want to tell you while you're, you're while you're doing your live yeah, shots. You didn't want to strip all my confidence right in the middle of having to do live shots at Clemson. It was when I was at Clemson. I, I, I loved it. I would have kept that action, but whatever. Um, yeah, we'll keep you guys updated on what I'm doing with this mop on top of my Just head. don't ever get rid of the beard. Uh, I did that once and everybody lost their minds. Like everybody thought, what are you doing? You look 12 years old. Like if you do that, I'm going to have to call your agent and like, see if like, are you having like a midlife crisis crisis or what's going on? I will say this. When I was in Los Angeles, for those of you guys listening who who didn't know, I was in Los Angeles last week for several days uh, for Tiger Woods coverage. And I I guess we should, it, it bears noting, we're grateful that he's on the mend. We're grateful that, um, that he has such tremendous care and that he's here. And I'll just say that the best commentary that I've heard a, a week later now is Rory McIlroy, who is invariably the voice of reason on the PGA Tour. Forget golf. Let's just be thankful that he's still here, that he's alive, that his children still have their dad. And – I agree with that 100%. I hope that his he I hope that his recovery is uh, it's going to be a long road, but I hope that it goes without any hiccups. Um I hope that his legs heal as quickly as they possibly can so that he can be dad. Uh that's the number one thing right now. Golf is so far removed from the equation at this point. Uh let's just to Rory's point be grateful that that Tigers here. Yeah, when I saw the news, when I saw in one of the posts that he was stable, it was like a sigh of relief just because of how horrific it sounded in the photos. But back to just being happy that he can just hope that he can get back to normal because, I mean, you talked to him in, what, 2018, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about how he couldn't even play Legos with, with Charlie. And he couldn't go out there and kick a soccer ball with Sam. And that's all he ever wanted to do. So right now, you're right. The only thing I want to see him do is be a dad. That fatherhood, I mean, what he told me in in that particular conversation was that fatherhood is the most important thing in my life. And and that's that's what I want to be. And there were a couple of comments in that, in that conversation that I felt just really stood out. And one of them was what you're talking about, Travis. You know, for better part of four to six months, 
that I had to be helped out of bed every day. Brutal. Um, and there are some days where I just, even you helped me, I couldn't stand up. I'd have to just, you know, either fall to the floor or just stay in bed. Um, that was not a, that was a tough part of my life. That was in March of 2018 that he told me that. Of course, he went on to play golf again. He won Atlanta in the 2018 season finale, and then he goes and wins the Masters in 2019, which is the greatest thing that I've ever seen professionally. And, like, I love what Rory said, too. I mean, Rory said this this past week about what, you know, kind of how he perceived Tiger. They went to lunch together in March or April of 2018, just after Tiger had the fusion. And then Rory said to work his way from hardly being able to walk or stand up to be able to get his game back into shape to win tournaments and to win the Masters tournament, he said, this is Rory McIlroy, I can't think of any greater comeback in sports than the journey that he made from that lunch we had in 2017 to winning the Masters a couple years later, and he's right. No disrespect to anybody who's ever come back, any great athlete who's ever come back. Tiger Woods' comeback is the greatest. And, yeah, I mean, and, we talk just, about go ahead. Willis Reed coming back. Like, yep. you think about these injuries that some, like, what Tiger has overcome is just, it's the best. So many golfers mentioned Ben Hogan and what he overcame. And of course, uh, it, it's amazing. But I mean, I, I love what, what Tiger said to me. Uh, last March, a year ago, Travis and I interviewed him as part of the Masters podcast uh, ahead of what was supposed to have been the April Masters, which, of course, shortly after the interview that I'm getting ready to reference or that I'm referencing now, uh, the world shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But I loved what he said. I asked him, we all lived that Masters victory with you. What should our takeaway be? And he said, just keep fighting just keep fighting and sometimes when it felt like there was there was no uh there was no hope the little things that I would try and do and you know whether it was uh living moment to moment trying to get from one meal to the next or it was can I get up off this couch and you know, get to the kitchen can I get a, a bottle of water you know th there were some pretty dark times in there but uh to go through all that and just having the little mini goals. And that's one of the things I was so proud of is I, I, I had built little mini goals into one big crescendo, and that was the, the win at, at the Masters. And uh, a lot of little things had to go right for that to happen, and it just kept building on it, and I kept building on it for virtually uh, two and a half years. I can't imagine. Like, it's just unbelievable. And it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's a movie script of all movie scripts. If you wrote it, you wouldn't believe it. But it actually happened. And the last thing I'll say about it is, at least for now, is I thought that what Xander Shoffley said this past week about Tiger's influence really resonated too. And because, you know, look, Tiger is facing another difficult comeback right now. It's going to be a long road. And uh, the outpouring of support that he's received is global. And here's what, what Shoffley said. He said, it's strange to share the same idol as everyone else out here but we all do for good reason because he's why we do what we do. How, how cool was it to see Rory and Finau and those guys showing up in red? Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. 
to see uh, Rory and Justin Thomas and Tony Finau and Tommy Fleetwood and um, Jason Day, all those guys wearing Sunday red in support of Tiger. And I just, it was beautiful that Tiger went on social media and said what it meant to him, how much it emotionally buoyed him in this really difficult moment. So great job by all those guys. Tiger, um, we're all praying for you, man. We're all thinking about you, that you can heal up really quickly. Okay, uh, thanks so much to, to Coach Malzahn for taking the time today to the UCF Public Relations and, and Sports Information staff for helping us get this interview. Great job, Travis, getting Coach Malzahn. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country keeping our community safe, to our firemen and first responders risking your lives to save others. And thank you so much to the United States military, all branches. We appreciate so much your sacrifice because we get to live in a free land. That's Marty Smith's America. Y'all have an amazing week, and we'll catch you next time around.